We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Ten, because that nine, goal ignition will serve to organize start. and measure the Six, best five, of our energies four, and skills. Three, because that two, challenge is one, one that we're willing to accept. Zero. All engine running. We have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour, liftoff on Apollo 11. Hello everyone, uh, with this sixth episode of the New Space Vision podcast. It has been a while since we recorded our last podcast, but um, from now onwards we, we try to um, record podcasts on a frequent basis with important players and actors of the New Space community. Today with John Tucker, founder of New Space Hub, and there's a special story behind this. Uh, because previously New Space Hub was called New Space Ventures, and we are called New Space Vision, so both, in short, are NSV. And so, of course, I'm happy that you <laughs> changed the name so that there's no confusion out there. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, and, and yes, it's, it's New Space Hub. The, the vision has been completely dropped. You guys can take it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So, John, uh, you are senior mission and in, uh, integration engineer at SpaceX, and uh, today yes. we don't talk about SpaceX. We're going to talk about uh, the new space hub. So maybe we start with a first uh, short introduction uh, from your set. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about uh, the person John Tucker and your career. Sure, sure. Uh, so um, uh, my day job is with SpaceX, uh, but the uh, new space hub has been a passion project of mine for the past couple of years. Um, I, I never really expected to find myself in the space industry. Uh, I was in the United States Air Force previously, uh, working mission integration and mission assurance for, uh, for United States Air Force government launches. Uh, and that was my introduction into the space industry. And I really, really loved it. Um, I, I was literally, literally assigned to the space industry being an engineer and I, I joined the Air Force not to do space, but to fly airplanes. And that didn't work out, but this was a fantastic alternative. Um, and so as I found myself in the space industry, I really um, took an affinity towards it and wanted to learn as much as I could. And part of that was initially com uh, collecting as many space companies, products and services on a personal list um, just to get a better understanding of what was out there outside of the United States. Uh, when you're here in the US and you talk about space, there's really only um, a handful of actors that like dominate the news and everything like that. But I wanted to see the other things, what was going on in Europe, what was going on in Australia and, and Japan and, and Africa. And, and so that's, that's where the, this, this database sort of grew out of. It was a personal need. Um, and, and here we are, uh, about four years later, and, and it's turned into a, a full-fledged website to, to help other people interested in finding more about the space industry. And uh, that's also what's exciting uh, Sven and me, because um, uh, we're going to talk today a lot about uh, different regions uh, of the space industry, about uh, trends in the past decade and also future trends. Um, but before we start with that, um, uh, in your LinkedIn profile, I could see that you work for a lot of different space companies. Uh, so what was your way from the Air Force to, uh, to SpaceX? Uh, well, uh, through, uh, through the Air Force, um, I had the opportunity to initially work on the um, 
the auditing of SpaceX when when SpaceX first uh, was asking to be a contender for government missions. Uh, so that was my first uh, look from the government perspective of how SpaceX ran as a company. And that got me really, really excited. So um, that was one of the reasons why I, I reached out and uh, and applied for, for a role there after leaving uh, the Air Force. Uh, but I'm also involved in uh, other uh, space entrepreneurship organizations around the world. Um, uh, and uh, space entrepreneurs kind of hold a, a special place uh, in, 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 in my heart for me, uh, sh helping them grow uh, their ambitions and helping, helping steer them on the right path with what, you know, what little insight that I have into the space industry is really, really rewarding. And so I, I, I appreciate doing that in my spare time. Yeah, one of those uh, projects is uh, the Moonshot X, uh, um, and there you act as a business mentor, right? Or you acted um, until end of two thousand nineteen. Um, yeah, uh, still still involved here and there. Um, Troy and I, uh, Troy McCann is the, is the founder of Moonshot X, and uh, he's doing he's doing a lot of great work for the Australian space industry down there, um, and getting uh, entrepreneurs and people excited. Uh, bringing uh, bringing investors over to to see these startups and companies that Australia is is really growing, um, and so I'm, I'm really happy to have been involved. Super cool, yeah. So um, you also said that uh, New Space Hub is uh, is a database, but um, can you tell us a bit what uh, New Space Hub is doing um, and, and uh, describe also what's uh, your your vision for the, this and what motivates you to start it? Sure. Uh, as as I mentioned, um, I, I started uh, at the at first, like you like you said, it was called New Space Ventures. Um, uh, it, it was initially just a shared Google spreadsheet um, with a free Mailchimp newsletter for people uh, to sign up to get notified when new things were added to the spreadsheet. Um, and as more people started signing up for the newsletter, they were asking for more more details and more insights and um, that sort of motivated me to transition from a spreadsheet to a, a fully fledged website. Um, I changed the name to New Space Hub and transitioned that spreadsheet database onto uh, the website's backend. And what the industry seemed to have been asking for was sort of like a combination between Product Hunt and Crunchbase, if you're familiar with both yeah. of those platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've worked really hard over the last year to not just continue to add space companies, products and services from around the world into this database, um, but also space financial information going back almost three decades um, and and combining that data to get a pretty, a pretty awesome picture of how space funding has grown um, and where that money has gone to different segments of the industry geographically, where's that money going and coming from. Um, currently, uh, the database has uh, almost 3,500 uh, 3, entries um, from 90 countries around the world, and we're tracking over 19 billion US dollars uh, invested across uh, I think almost 800 funding rounds um, with uh, with space companies globally. Wow, 
It's very, really impressive because I still remember the time when it was a spreadsheet and <laughs> yeah, uh, right. email newsletter. I signed up there and, and I even copied the spreadsheet to just have a backup because I didn't knew if maybe Newspace uh, Hub or back then Newspace Ventures would maybe stop working or the or the spreadsheet would be deleted. So so I oh, created so a copy yeah. of <laughs> yeah, my own, own drive uh, because I, I just really loved the idea. And for me, back then I worked for PT Scientist, uh, yeah, Google Lunar Express Contester. Yeah. And um, I, I had the same idea, and that's also a reason why, why I started New Space uh, Vision, because I thought um, that there are far too few space companies out there. And one reason I had this impression was um, that that there was no real list of companies which are um, active in the space industry. But now there's, there's for example, your, um, your project New Space Hub, which gives a really great overview. So um, you, you really put a lot of time and effort into this. So maybe is there, is there, is there like, what's the motivation behind this? Because you're really measuring the temperature of the industry. And, and this is great. So, for example, for me, I couldn't really nail down uh, motivation for space other than that I think space technology and uh, the space industry is really pushing humanity forward. And that's why I want to be part of this. But um, do you have any intrinsical motivation? Or what is, of course, you have one. What is the intrinsical motivation behind this? And on the other hand, I wanted to ask... It's a list with 3,500 entries, you said, correct? Yes. Yes. Have you collected them all uh, on your own, or are there others which also contribute to this web page? That's, that's a great question. Um, let me start with that uh, and, and just say that this certainly would not have been possible if it weren't for um, users who continue to contribute to the database. Um, I sort of seeded the the database and the spreadsheet. I continue to uh, uh, to post things that I come across, um, but uh, similarly to uh, Product Hunt and Crunchbase, uh, users are able to submit new discoveries, or if they're entrepreneurs, they can submit their startups to the database, um, and and that kind of gets me to to where I found sort of what my motivation for continuing this database and continuing this service. Um, uh, truthfully, at the start, this was just a personal spreadsheet and personal desire to sort of track this stuff. But as this grew, it became pretty clear to me that um, entrepreneurs, uh, space entrepreneurs around the world uh, needed a, a way to kind of showcase what they're doing and uh, a way for the industry to see what was happening um, uh, in other places that they might not have visibility to. So the the yeah. mission that I kind of uh, see New Space Hub having is to help space entrepreneurs um, showcase what they're doing, find their audience, uh, uh, find investors if that's what they're looking for, and help show the rest of the space industry really what's out there. Um, yeah. What uh, you mentioned not really having um, uh, uh, databases of the space industry or lists of the space industry previously. Uh, at least here in the United States, there there were uh, a couple different organizations that collected. Uh, they called them space lists, but in my opinion, they were aerospace lists. They contained a lot of airplane manufacturers or suppliers of airplane parts, um, or 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 
startups that were doing uh, drones and and quadcopter technology, and I didn't really see those as aerospace, let alone space. And, yeah, me too. I know this problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's that's kind of why um, when uh, when I started accepting other people's input to the list, I quickly realized that there sort of needed to be a, a, a vetting process. And we, we came to a, um, a list of criteria that, uh, that we, we judge whether a company, uh, is, should be considered a space company for, from, <clears throat> excuse me, from our perspective and a verification method. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I, um, uh, built up is contacts, uh, in the space industry like yourselves, uh, over the last couple of years. And, uh, I've asked a number of them to be validators of new submissions. And so they, they help me kind of, um, take a look at what is submitted and we kind of have a voting system, um, for, for if, if people agree that they, it should be in the database. And uh, when another interesting thing is that you also really try to connect people in the industry. And I remember it's it's already a few years ago uh, when you started uh, your roundtables. And I, I can see now on my calendar actually on on, uh, on Saturday that there is a monthly roundtable and a biweekly. So are they still alive? And uh, how is it going? Uh, unfortunately, no. The, those roundtables um, have taken a hiatus uh, with. Uh, um, uh, my my work schedule has, has certainly increased a little bit. Uh, and this is something that I still do in my free time, but that's something that um, I'd like to bring back uh, at some point uh, with a little more structure. Um, <laughs> quite quite honestly, it was it was something I thought would be interesting and to kind of see where this would go. Um, but the the community that was going to those roundtables is still very much alive, and we have a, uh, we have a Slack channel that that we all still converse on. Nice. Um, I think, I think that's, that's really great. And, um, maybe we would like to dig a little bit deeper into re what, what are the findings? What are the, 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 yeah, what's, what's, what are the findings of the new space database, new space from new space hub? So maybe first of all, what do people, are, what are people most interested in? Like, what's the thing where you have heard, like, that's people were searching for is it general industry trends, which I think. Um, you can observe when when you have a database like this, or is it really people looking up individual companies? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, and and also depending on the perspective that you're looking for. If you're um, if you're a space entrepreneur, um, I, I've I've uh, talked with a lot of them who have used the database, and and uh, they use it for a number of specific cases, including market research. You know, if they have uh, an idea for a space startup. They kind of want to see what is out there that other companies might be doing similar to their idea. Um, uh, space startups have used the database uh, to, uh, to to find a list of clients that they can potentially sell their services for. Um, if you're coming from the investor perspective, um, uh, you're, you're looking for startups that uh, most people haven't heard about yet that, that might be interesting to uh, you know, to back with funding. Um, so investors use the database uh, for, for sort of uh, searching for, for deal flow um, and connecting with startup founders. Uh, you mentioned industry trends. 
journalists and analysts have have certainly used the uh, the database um, to to help show uh, trends in the types of companies that are starting up, the the funding I mentioned, you know, where that money is going. Um, uh, recently, uh, Bryce uh, and New Space Hub. Uh, partner together, yeah. um, and and Bryce used uh, New Space Hub data to uh, inform their 2019 uh, and 2018 um, space startup reports. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, I definitely always uh, so bright the the Bryce reports are always a great uh, source of information. Also, uh, for me, uh, I I I like to read them and really see what's out there because, of course, you can also only know. Uh, so much about what's going on in the different areas of the industry, but because what I think you can really say, and that's also something I think, um, um, yeah, which we're going to talk now about is is that the industry has changed since the three years we spoke for the first time. Um, Daniel, right? You have a question yeah, exactly. About this. And so um, what we are interested in, um, because Sven and I are also pretty young. You are also uh, also young, um, but you have seen a bit more than Sven and I did. Uh, so we are interested in, um, from your in, in internal perspective, uh, what kind of changes did you see in the industry or did you observe in the industry over the past decade? Well, uh, the, the past decade, um, from my perspective, started with um, uh, SpaceX receiving um, the, the contract from NASA here in the United States to resupply uh, the space station with, with cargo. And that was a huge turning point, um, at least from my, my point of view, in that a, a national government was trusting a private entity to resupply a government, uh, a government thing. And in this case, it's, it's the space station. And now we're uh, starting this new decade um, uh, with, with SpaceX about to launch astronauts to the International Space Station. And, and because of that, and, and this is just, you know, since 2010, but from my yeah. perspective, the new space industry kind of began around the year 2000 when Blue Origin started up, SpaceX began, um, the Moonshot X Prize was, uh, was, was won, um, and Virgin Galactic Rocket Lab started up. You started to see a lot of um, uh, space entrepreneurs making really big waves, which in, from, from my point of view, uh, drew a lot of people into the space industry. You know, one, um, uh, university students coming out of school, seeing that they could actually use their degrees in advancing the space industry that hadn't really been advanced in a long time. And so that was pretty exciting for a lot of people. Um, you saw investors who had always been hopeful for the space industry, realizing that, hey, I can actually put money towards things in the space industry now that things are, are kind of taking off. So you, so you start to see this investment in space go up. Um, and, you know, as you notice money going into space startups, that also attracts a lot of entrepreneurs. And so there was this entrepreneurial draw to the space industry. Uh, for that reason, um, STEM education as a result around the world has, has increased. There are more people in more places learning about rockets and satellites, which is a great thing. Um, and with all this, 
you start to see a reduction in the cost to get to space. Um, with SpaceX and Rocket Lab um, uh, throwing their hat in the ring to launch payloads uh, at prices that are orders of magnitude less than national governments, um, all of a sudden the, 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 the barrier to entry to get something into space really started to drop off a cliff. And that was a sign that, you know, lower barrier to entry coupled with improved manufacturing capabilities, um, better materials and more industry standards around space, such as the, the CubeSat standard, um, you start to see a lot of, uh, a lot of great reasons for people to, to get and move into the space industry. Um, as a result, uh, I, there were, and, and are on the new space hub database, almost a hundred individual space startups that we're tracking that are just dedicated to space launch. You know, a lot of different people. <laughs> hundred. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more than, than you would think, but these are from all over the world, uh, from Japan to Singapore, to Australia, to India, um, even in the Middle East, in in Pakistan, in and Iraq, there there are space entrepreneurs in 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 these parts of the world that 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 are trying to to advance humanity, and I think that's really really fantastic. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. Yeah, uh, I mean, like two weeks ago, uh, Sen and I hosted a meetup with uh, um, the topic uh, access to space, and uh, there we also had a German company, ESA Aerospace. Uh, which just uh, raised a, a 17 million euro seed round um, uh, in no Series A in Germany, and it's really exciting also to see this. Um, but you just mentioned, of course, uh, that uh, I, I, we, I mean, um, you can say that the kickstart came uh, from the US, right, uh, from the go governmental contract to SpaceX. Um, but uh, over the past years, how did you um, uh, see the other regions, uh, like you said, China and Europe, um, evolving? Uh, you know, from I, I, I couldn't say uh, if I, I feel that the kick kind of came uh, in the early 2000s with the with the moonshot prize with SpaceX and Blue Origin starting up. Um, uh, but that's obviously from my uh, United States American perspective. Um, there may have been uh, other factors in other parts of the world. Um, but the I think what people started to realize with the advent of uh, the internet and access to information, they started to see that there's a lot of space data that is available to improve people's lives around the world. And so what, what you see yeah. in, in Africa, in India, in the Middle East are not just um, physical space hardware startups and companies, you know, trying to, to launch rockets and build satellites, but a lot of startup companies that are taking a software perspective and mindset, which is, um, uh, a lot easier for, for a lot of people who already have a software background, they're taking their, their expertise and applying that to the space industry, um, taking earth observation data, um, putting it through a software tool that they design and giving that out to an industry that hadn't used space data before, or um, hadn't um, hadn't ever thought that they could be an extension of the space industry. For example, um, farming or 
um, uh, uh, what, what's some of the other things, um, environmental monitoring, um, piracy tracking, uh, using, using space data and imaging, imaging, um, things like that. It's sort of space adjacent, yeah. uh, industries yeah. using space technology. Yeah, I think, um, Danny and I also founded LiveEO, an earth observation company here also based in Berlin, maybe one of the centers of new space around the world. That's uh, an introduction to my next question. But before say, uh, asking my question, I, I want to say that I completely agree with you that the um, development in hardware in the first half of, of this uh, um, yeah, millennia have made it possible that now people are building up and are developing um, applications on top of this hardware. Right. For example, um, in the in the internet, we have seen companies laying the groundwork of telecommunication, like um, Cisco or some of these other hardware companies. And then, based on this hardware, the server racks and all these infrastructure companies like Google, like Facebook, and so on, were able to build the software, which then really drew. Um, the entire digitalization and uh, also a lot of the value creation. And now we see, okay, we have standardization and we have cheaper access to space. And thanks to the CubeSat standard and, for example, flights from SpaceX, Planet Labs and now Planet, sorry, <laughs> right. Planet Inspire, for example, are uh, able to launch hundreds of satellites into orbit, which then allow companies like ours to analyze satellite data and to really bring these insights and the value to companies which maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago didn't really were able to benefit from um from space exactly. technology so so um exactly maybe maybe i have another question which is i at least felt or i feel like the within the last three four years a lot of smaller companies popped up so before this we had like projects from, I don't know, like, um, let's say, um, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, and um, and people which already had either background in aerospace um, or had a lot of money and wanted to go into aerospace. But during the last three, four years, at least in Germany, we have seen a, an explosion in companies. So when we started New Space Vision, there were maybe, uh, let's say, it felt like just a handful of real new space startups, and now there are 20, 30 real startups out there. Have you seen an acceleration within the last few years with more venture going in, venture capital going in there, not to the big players, but to the smaller ones? Or has it been a steady growth? You know, uh, because New Space Hub and the database itself is only four years old, from that small perspective, <laughs> it's kind of hard true. to tell. But I will say that... That's true the investors that I spoke with, um, they're, they're, there's still a little bit of apprehension from traditional investors about the space industry, not that they're skeptical yeah. about the space industry, but it's, it's investors usually invest in something that they're familiar with and that they understand. So, uh, as, as this has grown, particularly in the last decade, uh, you see a lot of investment money uh going to um to space startups for technology that a traditional investor understands much better so even if they they might be building yes. satellites um uh 
even if a company might be building a, you know, a minor constellation of satellites, maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 satellites in a constellation, and they need funding for that, an investor now um, who traditionally would have invested in like a Silicon Valley tech company for software, they might not understand the satellite aspect, but they can absolutely understand the software side of that startup business um, in distributing that data on a dedicated platform and API. And they're like, oh, I understand that as a software tech investor, even though I don't really get the space aspect of it, they have this whole software side that, that that's going to be the bulk of their business and distribute out to customers. So, so that's more comfortable for me to put my money towards. Does that make sense? So, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think it's a, also just really like investors just also need time to get comfortable with something. And I think what you, what you really said, you have, and, and of course also the maturity of some of the entrepreneurs which want to start their own space hardware company um, yeah, needs to develop if they are able to um, gain experience within another older new space company where they learn the tools and techniques. Yeah. Um, then, then it would it's really helpful that they um, that then the investor probably also feels more comfortable when they start their own venture. But are there centers around the globe which you could now, like cities or smaller regions? Of course, the area around LA is definitely a new space center. But are there? What would you say are the main hubs, so to say, so cities and and metropolitan areas where you see? A lot of new space companies. Are there some 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 clusters around the world which you can? Uh, yeah, name? certainly uh, Germany, um, uh, where where you are there in Berlin, um, the aerospace valley in France. Uh, there there's a, a good number of um, space startups uh, in that region, from from what I can recall. Uh, Sydney in Australia. Um, uh, let's see. Yes, here here in Los Angeles, but but also. Uh, up in the the Bay Area, uh, is in San Francisco. Um, on the East Coast in the United States, there are, uh, <laughs> I guess, understandably, a lot of space startups um, or industry veterans that are trying to start their own company um, uh, around Cape Canaveral uh, and and the launch facilities out yeah. there. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Singapore um, and in Tokyo, uh, those, yeah. those are the ones that kind of come to mind right now. Um, out of, out of all, all the geographic regions, the, the areas that I personally through new space hub have not seen very, uh, very many, not even companies, but just like space organizations or space entrepreneurial focused groups, um, seem to be in Russia um and sort of central africa uh e even yeah. china has a, a good number of space startups that um, are probably funded a lot through the national government um but you know maybe a uh, a, a public and private partnership sort of what's like what's going on with nasa and, and spacex and some other organizations here but um we've we've still been able to see a lot of those through through news outlets and and uh, and things like that but central africa and, and russia seem to be um uh, pretty hard to to find find things about yeah 
Yeah. And that's surprisingly, I think, because especially in Russia, you have such a long history um, in, in, yeah, and it's also such a long success. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just so, so many successes in, in space. And it's, it's true. I couldn't name a famous space startup no, from Russia. No. It's true. No. I never thought um, about this. When looking at your website, also, you have this new space dashboard um, and uh, with, for example, six space funding deals in the past 60 years. And now uh, you mentioned that Russia and China, you, uh, you, you got insights about uh, yeah, through your platform. Um, was there any big surprise when you um, uh, yeah, walked through the data? And uh, also follow-up question is, how do you um, um, analyze the, the data you have now on this big database? Um, so the, the first question, uh, are, there, are there any big um, surprises? Um, I, I, I think for, for me, the biggest surprise was just the, the amount of money that um, uh, we, we, we have currently tracked going to the space industry. I mean, 19... 19 billion dollars is 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 an awful lot um but then you can see where the bulk of that money has gone and a lot of that 19 billion has initially gone to launch companies to to bring down the the cost of space launch and it's that isn't in itself too surprising um but then you see uh a lot a lot of money like on, on the new space dashboard there's six space funding deals in the past 60 days. Um, that's not something that uh, you would have really expected, you know, in the last two months, over 40 million US dollars uh, going to, uh, to to space startups. That's that's pretty cool. Um, with COVID, <laughs> that, that might go down here in the in the next few quarters. Um, but but we'll see. Um, some of the yeah. and, and I mentioned that uh, Space funding went a lot to the launch side, but there's a lot of funding going to the uh, the downstream side of the space value chain. So on the launch end, lowering that that launch cost and barrier to to a lot of space startups. But then on the the other end is the uh, the software interface, the APIs, the, the platforms that, that leverage space data for, for other industries and applications, uh, but then the infrastructure as well with all these launch companies and all these satellite constellations that are currently around and that plan to be around uh, in the next decade through 2030. Um, for example, th th there's going to need to be a larger need for ground station support. Yeah. And um, you see ground station startups trying to uh, to jump and fill that need. Yeah, yeah. I've um, also had the chance to meet uh, Andy Jesse in Berlin, the, the CEO of uh, Amazon Web Services, and also they now build the uh, ground station product on Amazon yeah. Web Services, and that also shows you know uh, how many uh, money and uh, also investments inside companies go into the space industry, and that's. Of course, always exciting to me. Um, you just mentioned that uh, most of the money now is going into launch um, uh, companies. Does it mean that we are still at the very beginning? Because uh, for a space civilization, of course, the, the launch is just the first uh, uh, thing in the entire chain. <laughs> that's 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 a good uh, that's a good point. Um, I I do think we're still kind of at the beginning. This this is. Uh, this is one of the hardest things that humanity has ever done. And we've never sent humans beyond the moon. Um, there, there is a 
hell of a lot of technology that still needs to be developed, like hard, hard tech, hardware, um, services and infrastructure to, uh, to enable people and humans to, uh, to not just work in space, but live in space for extended periods of time. And that's, that's going to require a lot of money. Um, uh, I know that, uh, uh, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, they, they all talk about a, a future of space launch where we get to a point where launching rockets is as routine as taking off in an airplane. You know, yeah. there's, uh, there, there's not a, a crowd of people every time an airplane takes off, uh, cheering. Um, if, if it, if it were that, that might be a bad sign at this point. Um, but, but that's, yeah. that's kind of where we need to get to where we're launching rockets is, is just routine and it's safe. Um, and, and we still have, we still have a little ways to go with that. Yeah. So then I also always discussing what could, uh, the, um, killer application. So killer hardware application actually in orbit, uh, could be the next one. Um, because we've seen like the, the biggest revenues come from communication and earth observation. Um, so what do you think in, in your opinion, uh, what could be the next killer application in orbit? Is it the space hotel? Is it, is it, is it space manufacturing or a medical application maybe? Um, I, medical applications, uh, in orbit, um, I see helping really just, uh, national astronauts, um, uh, NASA, European space agency, astronauts, uh, JAXA, Roscomos, um, what would I kind of see as the, the biggest benefit to on orbit services in the coming decade, uh, is going to be orbital debris mitigation. Um, uh, we saw, uh, recently a demonstration of a satellite life extension, um, uh, where a, another satellite docked with an existing satellite in orbit, refueled it so, so it can continue its life, um, and, and not become space junk. Um, so, but even before we get into space manufacturing, in my opinion, I think we need a way to make sure that the orbits are clear and safe for, for space hardware to operate in. Um, recently, uh, just at the end of 2019, um, there's, uh, there's an international policy for orbital debris mitigation, and that was updated. Uh, to to specify a little bit more about where the end of the the start and the end of the geostationary belt is, and on either side yeah. of the geostationary belt, there are internationally recognized junk orbits that um, that people and organizations um, are utilizing, um, but services that that enable satellites to deorbit effectively or extend their life or, um, you know, grab and move into a, a junk orbit safely, um, I, I think are going to be critical before we, we can even start thinking yeah. about building something on orbit and manufacturing in space. Because with manufacturing, obviously, comes waste. And we need to figure out how to take care of that waste. And also, of course, if you make big investments in, for example, a manufacturing facility in orbit or space hotel or whatever, you want to make sure that the either very valuable substances you produce there 
all the very rich people <laughs> right, right. in the beginning, which fly there, don't get killed by space debris. And the, there, there are many space. startups that, that are um, working to tackle this problem. And, and I, I can see us getting, um, you know, by, by 2030, um, having a pretty good system in place. So you also write medium articles about some, some startups, which you, which you highlight, um, maybe what would be, maybe you can give us an impression of maybe what are some of the most interesting new space companies you come across sure. over the past couple um, of months? Uh, I mentioned the, the value chain, um, for, for, for space launch, you know, uh, launching things into orbit satellites on station, um, transferring that data back down to the ground. Um, uh, but one of the, I think the, the most interesting and one of the most prescient, uh, startups, it was simply called the launch company and they, um, they, uh, build, uh, dedicated launch sites for space companies and space startups, particularly, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, having an airplane and needing an airport, this, this company will build you that airport. And in this case, they will build you that, that launch site. Um, uh, I, I can see over the next couple of decades as the, uh, the reduction in launch costs gets smaller and smaller, um, as we get smaller rockets carrying smaller payloads into space with higher frequency, you need more efficient um, you need more efficient uh, rockets and launches. And the most efficient way to launch something into space is to position the launch itself as close to the equator as possible. Um, so I, I can foresee a lot of other uh, nation states, local governments um, uh, looking for an opportunity to attract a launch company to their area, especially if they're located around the equator. Um, and so a company like yeah. the launch company that builds launch sites and, and spaceports, um, to, to be very, very interesting. Uh, another one, uh, was, uh, ALE out of Japan and, uh, they, they have, um, this vision for, um, artificial meteor showers from orbit to, you know, for, for, for events. All and, right concerts um they were they were hoping to to have their first demonstration by the the olympics um there there in japan um i'm honestly not sure what the plan is for that yet but they're still they're still around they're still a company and i think they have an orbital demonstration um with one of their payloads uh coming up soon uh but their their whole idea is you know they have a um a small satellite in low earth orbit um with different metallic alloys uh, in spherical form that they deploy and let drop through the atmosphere. And as it ablates, the different metals and materials light up in different colors to, to create artificial meteor showers. That's super cool. Yeah. And it sounds pretty <laughs> exactly. amazing. Cool present. Cool present. And what I also like about this is that it brings people uh, back to uh, look into the, the sky uh, at the night, uh, what I really, really like. Uh, so that they think that uh, a lot of things are going um, on in the orbit. Um, Sven and I are also always discussing the, the things which could be uh, improved by uh, um, uh, the government or so on. So do you, what kind of limitations uh, do you see right now which could or are slowing down the growth of the space industry? Are there any? Well, um, the, 
from a government perspective, not just in the United States, but around the world, um, I, I feel that there's a, a risk aversion, which is manifesting as a resistance to change and improve. Um, uh, a, a lot of government officials, in my opinion, have said, oh, yes, you know, we need um, we need easier access to, to space. We, we need to be a spacefaring civilization. Um, we, we need to have reusable rockets. Uh, but then the technology uh, that, that they're, they're funding uh, isn't necessarily in line with that. It's still the traditional aerospace companies with um, traditional mindsets. Um, so, so that, that has been some, like a growing pain if, uh, as it were for, for the space industry, um, as, as one of the sort of the, the hindrances, um, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. I think, um, here in the United States, uh, the United States air force and NASA have, have a long history of space launch and, uh, they've, they've, uh, they've suffered um, catastrophic failures. They've learned a lot. And so they, they have a lot of history that, that needs to be, uh, used and, um, and understood. Same thing with the European space agency, Roscomos, uh, JAXA, like all over the world. Um, and, uh, the, the right way forward, I, I believe it are these public private partnerships where the, the, the government of whatever country you're in, uh, doesn't wholly own any of the launch services or satellite services, but partners with private companies um, to to not just uh, give um, uh, give these services over to private companies, but but help foster and innovate growth. If you really want a space industry, you 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 need to have uh, a, an industry that that isn't um fully owned by by the government and i think luxembourg is a great example like this it's a space agency which doesn't do any mission and uh, we're, we're talking about this in, in our podcast with gary martin which was uh, the fifth podcast of new space vision uh, and that was a really super interesting concept which luxembourg did there but we can also see changes in in germany uh, so that the dlr um, and also ESA in europe um, that they are um, opening up um, over the past years with uh, with some programs um, but it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to see um, how it uh, it's going on in the U.S. Um, so um, yeah, Sven, you I think had a follow-up question. Exactly. Um, or, or the next question because we we are coming to the end of the podcast. But um, I want to come back to what I said in the beginning. And you you started this this entire project, this new space hub, uh, with the name New Space Ventures, and uh, uh, you published an article on Medium where you said that. Uh, where you explained your reasoning for changing the name. And, it, and uh, to quote you there, you said, uh, it's not a big change and my reasoning boils down to this. The vision I have for the future of this platform is more than just an Excel spreadsheet of space companies, products and services. So what is your well, vision? Well, as, as the name uh, implies, um, I, I really want this to be uh, the leading destination for uh, uh, for folks to discover new and lesser known space companies, events, products, programs, organization services, um, and, and tools, uh, that are helping shape, uh, this industry worldwide. Um, and as a result, 
uh, for for this to to be a hub for for new space information. Um, we're uh, one of the the next things that we're going to be rolling out in the coming months is sort of a, a news aggregator of space news. There, there are a lot of space news services, um, but but uh, we feel that they're very um, geographically focused or um, industry segment focused, uh, and to to have a place where you can find space industry news and information from uh, from India if you're in Europe or from Europe if you're in Australia, but but have a sort of a, an aggregation of centralized space news um, here on this platform tied to the company's products and services that we have on our database. So that's that's sort of in the near term. Yeah, I think it's a great extension because my go-to uh, news outlet is um, Space News. And of course, as you say, um, because it's based in the US, it also covers, uh, of course, global news, uh, but, but there's a strong focus uh, towards the, the US. And for example, I would be super curious to know what's going on in China. And there's a the language barrier, but maybe through an aggregation uh, of different news outlets, um, this black spot can be eliminated. So that's pretty pretty cool. And we're looking forward to uh, to the new developments uh, of New Space Hub. Um, right. Uh, no, no, no more questions. I just want questions? to say that you, you just mentioned that you started four years ago, right? Just imagine we would have such a database for the past 20 years. So I'm really looking forward to look on, onto New Space Hub in the 2030s and 40s and really to derive also um, great insights from a platform. So keep up the great work with New Space Hub. Um, and uh, yeah, Thank we you. also didn't have the chance uh, to meet in person. We uh, tried it a couple of times uh, when we were in the US. Um, so I hope after this crisis that we can also meet um, uh, maybe this year or maybe next year in person uh, to drink a beer with you and uh, yeah, to um, follow up on our, our today's podcast. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for, for having me. Um, and uh, I, I really, really appreciate what you're doing for space entrepreneurship in, in Germany over there. Keep up the great work as well. So that's it. That was the sixth episode of our New Space Vision podcast. And it's not the last because we've already four other podcasts lined up and we're going to record them in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for them. And if you know anyone who would be a good guest here the New Space Vision podcast, please feel free to reach out. Also, if you have to have feedback for us, how we can improve, um, or maybe just questions which you would like to get answered from some of the experts, reach out to us via our social media channels or podcast at newspace.vision. And again, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And It would mean the world to us if you would forward it to one or more people, um, circle and in your community, uh, or if you would post the podcast on one of your social media channels. So looking forward to the next podcast and hope to see you at one of our events online or offline. Bye-bye.